Good morning, first service. Welcome back from spring break. Wait, did you guys not go? Oh, I guess they're all still gone. Welcome to spring break, everybody, wherever you're at, PCB, Daytona Beach. Have a great time, but I'm glad you're here for Jesus. All right. Well, all the lame people are here. That's good. So let's go ahead and dive into the message a little bit this morning. So here's what's going on today. We have been spending our last, oh man, it feels like eternity, uh, in the book of Hebrews. And we've decided that this week is the close of Hebrews. Who's excited about closing out Hebrews? Yeah. <laughs> I might have been Pastor Jason back there, I don't know. Um, so we're closing out with Hebrews 13 this morning, and that's where we're going to be all of the day. So if you want to turn your Bibles on the Version app, as you're on that app, click on the letters ESV. That's what we're preaching from this morning, and we're going to dive into there. But before we do, I want to go ahead and talk about a couple things with Hebrews. Since we've been in this for like nine weeks, if you remember back nine weeks ago, I started us off with a series talking about, man, we don't know who wrote this book. We know this was written to a Jewish audience, probably somewhere in Rome. They were struggling. And then we dove into like, man, Jesus is the greatest sacrifice. Jesus is the greatest high priest. Then we had Pastor Dan hit us with hard theology about salvation. And then we had, how do we get to be a part of this story with MVP? And this whole book is written kind of like a sermon. And so I'm delighted to close out with Hebrews 13, because Hebrews 13 is like practical application day. Like, I didn't have to dive into Greek this week. I didn't have to go back to Old Testament, look at some Hebrew. It was like, the, the, the words off this page are just like, man, I feel like it was originally written in English because it was so easy to understand. So maybe I'm wrong. And maybe like, man, God's like, Chase, you messed this one up. But I think this last chapter, these practical application points that the author was given to the audience is easy for us to even get. But let's be honest. Sometimes we're not the smartest people in the room. Amen. Let me show you a couple of examples of how we know we're not the smartest all the time. Uh, I looked up this week some of the most uh, unique how-to or warning labels that we've put on things because somewhere along the way, a genius got a hold of them. Let's go ahead and go with example number one. Oh, hey, it's an ice cube tray. Hey, if you don't know this, if you jump on WikiHow, it actually tells you how to use this piece of equipment. There's step-by-step instructions on how to use this. And the only thing that logically comes to my mind is somebody actually tried turning it upside down and thought that was a good idea to make ice cubes with. But then a a mom let me know, well, Chase, you got to realize, I tell my kids all the time, if you don't just fill up each individual one, you just put it all under the water, when you break it, those little ice cracklings fall on the floor. My response was, maybe you're a little OCD. The next example Okay, this one is for our um, newest parents getting ready to come into the audience. So CJ and Mariah, as they get ready to have a kid in the next couple weeks, this one's for you. Before you fold up the stroller, this is action number one. Remove the child. I read that, and I thought, okay, let me go next door to my office next door. Jessica Leach has four kids. Did you struggle with this, Jessica? Did, like, was this a problem? And her response was, Chase, have you met men? I'm like, oh, hey. Um, and like, I get it. All right, maybe dad was trying to get on the bus. Like, I'm not taking this kid out. Let me just unlatch it. And I can barely fold it. And it's okay. But somewhere along the way, people, a pediatrician was like, we have got to put a warning label on this stroller. Okay, our, our, our IQ is going really well here. 
Next example. <laughs> okay. Caution, do not iron while wearing the shirt. Somebody tried that. Like, I don't know. You're holding this and you're like, hmm, this will feel good. I'm at the spa. I, I don't know how you feel this, but like, yeah, so somebody got third-degree burn, and so they put a warning label on it so the iron company didn't get sued. I think I got one more. Oh, best for last. Do not hold the wrong end of the chains. Okay. All right. God, you're right. We are, we are okay. Yeah. Woo, this is what you're working with, God. We get it. Somebody did this, and because they didn't want to get sued, they're like, hey, when you start the chain, and maybe that's what it was. Man, I need a grip to pull start this. It's a little hard for me, so I'm going to grab by the chain. Sounds smart. And that's kind of who we are. Don't look at your neighbor and be like, oh, that's you. But as we dive into Hebrews 13, I say, man, this is some practical application. We're going to dive into each spot because sometimes we just don't get simple things or we overcomplicate things. Who's my overthinkers in the room? It could be the simplest thing, but we've overthought that. Let me tell you what we've overthought in life. Who remembers when they were kids and they used to have like their job at home? I mean, this was my childhood. Your job was, you were the TV remote. You got up and you were the person literally flipping between the three channels you got. And if it was that fourth channel that you didn't really get, you had to hold the bunny ears while your parents watched TV. Is that, is that just my tortured childhood? Okay. And then all of a sudden, the TV remote was a thing. And then all of a sudden, it came out, there's a universal remote. And then, man, we got, we got the sound bar. We got surround sound. We got different picture, picture, and picture. And then we got like five remotes. Here's the greatest thing about having five remotes. Greatest thing about it. Megan will have to look at me like, I don't know how to do this. I'm like, it's okay. Don't worry. We got this. I, got, I know what I'm watching. That's the greatest thing about five remotes, because this is something that guys understand. And that's how we've overcomplicated some things. So let's go ahead and dive into, J or into Hebrews chapter 13, and let's take a look. We're going to look at most of this chapter today. We're going to walk verse by verse. So go ahead and throw that up on the screen for me. So starting in verse 1, it says this. Let brotherly love continue. Well, let's stop there. Because what I've done today is we're talking about the last week of MVP, and I've given us some steps on how to be an MVP of our faith. And so what I've created for you today is a 10-point sermon on how to be an MVP. For those of you who know sermon writing, 10 points, well, that sounds like three hours. Yep, buckle up. So point number one, man, what does it look like to love one another? Step one, love one another. And I think when we talk about that, we have to ask this question. Why is this first? Last week, Jason covered how we got to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, and we have to like, make sure that we know the author and perfect of our faith. But why is step one in Hebrews 13, verse 1, why, why is it being written here? Man, love one another. And here's my reason for you. If we can't get this, you're not going to get 2 through 10. It's brotherly love, what that looks like. It's close friendship. It means we come alongside each other. It means we care about each other's needs, wounds, brokenness, how their day's going. I think it's a safe assessment 
that in the last couple of years, because of all the, the fun things we've gone through, friendships have taken a hit. Amen? We don't know what it means to actually be in somebody's life anymore and have a conversation and truly show genuine care for that individual. So this is step one. Love one another. What's great about this being step one is somebody else actually talked about this, and that was Jesus. Jesus gave us these two great commands because he knew that we needed these simple how-to guides, and it was simple. Love your God and love one another. And here's what the author's saying right here in Hebrews 13 to close out this sermon, this message is love one another. Let's go back to the text. So the text says this, verse 2, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Thereby some have entertained angels unawares. So when we look at that, to show hospitality to strangers, man, if we've already struggled with how to like be connected with our friendships, this is definitely taking a hit. When's the last time we saw somebody that we didn't even know and just said, you know what, I need to have a conversation with them. Or maybe as you're in church or in your life group and you're like, man, I don't know that person, I'm going to invite them to my home for dinner. What does it look like to be hospitable? Because that's step two. Be hospitable. So as we dive through this, how do we become the MVP of our faith? We love one another and we show others hospitality. Walk into our home. So here's what I want you to think about. If you're married, look at your spouse and ask yourselves this question. When is the last time somebody has graced our home that has no blood relation to any of us or marriage relation to any of us? Take a second and think about that. And let me talk to a couple crowds of you. Crowd number one, you might be Chase, man, this is a slam dunk for me. My house is an open door because if you met my family, I want random people in here all the time. Okay, that's great. Now, if you had to think back to like um, 1999, we got a problem. If it was like, man, we invited that random person uh, Thanksgiving of 2006. Because that's not okay. And how I know that's not okay is because we have this gospel message we, that, that has been left through us through Christ and the writers of Scripture that we're supposed to go out into the world. And how you truly get to know someone is by breaking bread and sharing with them. So if we're not doing that, we got to work on that. And I know I'm going to hear it. Well, Chase, we can't be doing that. It's COVID season. All right, I don't care if you do temperature checks at the door. Let people in. Have conversation. I'm not saying go to like some mass party of 400 people. I'm saying sit down at the dinner table and talk with one another again. Let's go to the text again. Verse 3 of chapter 13 says this. Remember those who are in prison as though prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. So step three on how to be an MVP of your faith. Be with the broken. And church... In the season we live in right now, this should not be hard to find. Finding broken people should not be hard to find. And maybe you're in this room and you're like, hey, that isn't actually me. And maybe you're hoping one of your neighbors or somebody sitting across the audience, man, you're hoping they pour into you because maybe you feel broken. 
in my opinion, as a pastor, this is where the gospel gains the most ground. Is when we as believers see brokenness and we speak Jesus. And we speak Jesus. What I mean by that is we don't look at them and be like, man, yeah, you've made some bad mistakes. Here's where you went wrong, A through Z. No, we start with this. Hey, do you know, man, I've messed up too. And I, I know God loves me and I don't get it, but I know he does. And here's how I know. This is where the gospel gains the most ground. This is where you put the tread on the tires to move this, this car. Are we doing that, church? That's my question. If you want to be an MVP of the faith, this is step three, be with the broken. I love that Paul says prison here, or if Paul's the writer, if he says prison here, because let's use that for our illustration. How many of us in here would be like, you know what, Chase? I could go talk to some inmates. I could do that. If you're going to take me up on that, I will tell you right now, we have an association to get you plugged in. Juvenile Justice Mission, one of a great partner that we have, they would love to have you come in and talk to young individuals that have been behind the walls. Or if you want to talk to people that are trying to figure it out, we have people at a Dream Center and Peoria Rescue that need some mentorship. And they're wanting people from the church. Why do they want people from the church? Because you have hope. You have Jesus. And people aren't going to change how they live until they have something better. And there's nothing better than Jesus. That's step three. Let's go back to the text. So as we look at this next part of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 says this, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. All right, not going, any, not going PG-13 today. I'm just going to explain, simply say this. Step number four, guard your marriage, people. If you're married in here, guard your marriage. And if you're in here and like, yes, single doesn't apply. Uh, yes, it does. Guard your future marriage. Make smart decisions now. Don't be careless. But married couples in here, I get it. This has been a tough season. And as the author's writing this to the Jewish audience that's struggling in Rome, let me tell you what's going on with them because we don't have the same problems they might have had because what was rampant then is people were just, oh, lack of a better term, there was open marriages going all over the place. There we go. Kids don't know what that means. All right. So that's what the author's talking about. But for us, what boundaries are we putting into our marriages? How are we honoring our spouses? How are we mutually submitting to each other? I've read that somewhere else in the Bible. What are we doing? Some of you might be like, Chase, we've been working from home together. This, this is awful. We've spent like 24 months, and I, I think I saw her pick up a knife and look at me really weird the other day. And maybe, like, maybe you're like, hey, you're not going to hear this many times on stage. Sometimes space is okay. You'd be like, what? Yeah, codependency is not good, people. Because if you're not okay as individuals, if you're not okay as the wife, and you're okay as the husband, don't expect that to be okay. So maybe you might need to be saying to your spouse, hey, I need some time. I need a day. Because I feel like I got a sixth child. That's okay. All right, go on a hike. Go kayaking, whatever you want to do. But that's probably the, the minor amount in the crowd. Maybe most of you in here need to hear this. What does it look like to spend quality time with your spouse and honor them? Let them know they are loved by you. 
That's how step four of being an MVP of your faith, because if you can't work on your marriage, how can we expect us to work on people outside of it? Let's go back to the text. Five through six of, all right, all right here we go. Now we're, get, we're cooking with gas, two verses this time. So verses five through six, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do? Yeah. All right. We're, we're trucking through here. But this is probably the hardest for everyone in the room. You know the next step is? Be content. Be content. What does that mean? How many of us in here have, all right, you know what? Let's rate each other in the room. Online, if you're sitting next to somebody, rate each other. Look next door and be like, man, think about the last time that person complained. Look at yourself and ask yourself that question. When's the last time I complained about a material possession I have, a relationship going on in my life? When's the last time I complained? If it's in the last 48 hours, give me a hand. All right, 12 honest people, that's good. Man, we are a society of complainers. I mean, we complain about everything. For example, I'll pick on myself. McDonald's is gross. I'll be the first to admit that. But there is nothing better than McDonald's fries. Amen? All right. So when I go and, you know, I get my large fry. And I'm telling you right now, I know the time of day to go. You go between the hours of 11.30 and 1 because that's when they're hot and fresh. Well, work week this week wasn't great, and I went and stopped by there, and I'm like, looked at the clock in the car, and I'm like, oh, it's 2.45. This is going to be a nightmare. Fries come out, and I'm like, yep, this ain't good. You, like, see sogginess everywhere. And you're like, you look at that, and you're like, man, I probably shouldn't put that in my body. Ah, it'll be okay. And then you, and you start tasting, and you're like, yeah, that's gross. And then all of a sudden, like, that is awful. Guys, that is like, that's where our problems are today, church. Like, that's literally some of the things we complain about. Or like when you pull into any drive-thru and it's like, man, there's 14 cars and I'm not at Chick-fil-A. This is not going to go well. <laughs> like, that's, like, like, that's, the, that's like the, the monument of our issues. And then what I want to say is this, when people hear you complain about that and what they got going on is they've lost their job and have no idea how to feed their family, no, I wouldn't want to talk to you either. Guys, what does it mean to be content? Show grace. Have we lost that? Have we lost how to have understanding? And with be content, I can't help but address one of the bigger issues I see in society. We have become so polarized. And when I say we become so polarized, it's on every single issue. Let's pick on the easiest crowd to pick on. You know, if, if I were to, like, go to Washington, D.C. and say, hey, all the politicians here, here's what we need to decide, Coke or Pepsi. Somewhere along the way, someone's going to look at the other and say, man, they hate children, they don't like Pepsi. Like, that's the extent of how we argue. And I know that sounds like over the top. It's not. All of a sudden, we have our personal stances, and when we argue one or the other, all of a sudden it becomes, not only do I think you're wrong, but because I think you're wrong, you're not as valuable as I am. We've lost sight, church. And to think the church is immune, yeah, you're wrong. 
I think we had a good example of how the church handles disagreement with the last couple years. I think we did it better than some, but it was rough. It was rough. What does it mean to be content? And here's how we start being content. Here's step five of being an MVP of your faith. You start off with this. Number one, I go to Jesus. And I realize he took it to the tree and he died for me. And then the next thing I go after that is if I have that, man, I'm okay being wrong on anything else. And if I have that perspective, I know I can love other people. I know I can show grace to my spouse. That's contentment. So whatever you're chasing after, whatever you're trying to drive for, whatever you're working so many hours for to try to attain, ask yourself this question. If I didn't have these things, would I be content? Am I content with what I have with my father? Am I content with what I have in my home? And I mean that with the people you have in your home. I hope you find that contentment in those things. All right, let's go back to the text. Next one is this, verses 7 through 9. Here's what it says. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Verse 9, do not be led by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Okay, so before we get into text too much, this, we, we mentioned foods for a reason, because there's some Jewish dietary code, they're super struggling, like, hey, how much of the old law do we follow with the practice of the foods we can eat? And that's what the author's addressing, and I don't think we really in the room struggle with that. So let me get to what I think we need to know. It is this. It's kind of like a recap of last week's message. Keep your eyes fixed. That is the next step on how you be an MVP of your faith. And what I mean by that is this. Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God. Consider the outcome of their life. Imitate their faith. Verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. I hope that gives you peace. I hope that gives you comfort. Here's why I say that. We shouldn't have to be guessing all the time. Because if that's a constant, if the gospel never changes, then we already know the truth. And we need to keep our eyes fixed on the cross, on Calvary. We need to keep our eyes fixed on it. Because if we can do that, man, nothing else matters. That's step six. Dive into step seven. Uh, verse 15 of chapter 13 says this. Through him, then let us cons can woo, lost my place. continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. Step seven. Praise. Praise. I'm going to pick on this one for a minute. Because if, as I've traveled overseas and seen churches uh, in other countries, whether it be China or Costa Rica or wherever I've been, I'm going to say, tell you right now, the American church does not do a good job of praise. We don't. And I'm not talking about, oh, Chase is trying to get us to lift our hands in worship. He doesn't know the background I come from. That was like, you hit, people hit you for that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about our heart of praise. It's not just a worship thing. It's not just you, like, during the worship songs. How much are we carrying out through the life of our, our week 
are we praising God continually? Because if I were to ask you to dissect your prayer life between praise and petition, petition being all the requests you ask, and if that was a scale, how would your prayer life look? How would your prayer life look? And maybe some of this is going to hit home. Maybe you'd be like, whoa, I only talk to God when things are going wrong. I'm going to tell you, it's not okay. How often do you get up in the morning and say, God, thank you for the creation. Thank you for the breath of life that you've given me. Married men in here, how often do you look next door to you on the bed and say, thank you for giving me this person that puts up with me. Moms, how often do you wake up and say, thank you for my children that I have. Even though I, I sometimes want to do harmful things to them. How often do we praise? How often do we praise God? This one should be a gut check. Because culture has led us, and sometimes culture navigates us, and it shouldn't as believers. The world's on fire, and for some reason we've decided that, nope, there's nothing praiseworthy anymore. There's nothing to thank God for. And that's not okay. Because how, if you have that mindset that there's nothing praiseworthy, along the line, somewhere along the way, you become completely bitter. And then when you become bitter, you become distant. And then when you become distant, no one wants to be around you. And maybe you're like, man, is that me? Sadly, that probably wasn't your first conclusion. Your first conclusion probably was, that's what's wrong with her. But ask yourself inwardly, where am I at with that? Because step seven of how to be an MVP of your faith is you've got to praise God. Got to praise God. Step eight, verse 16 of chapter 13 says this, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So this one's a little different for us. So step eight is just simple. It's do good. Do good. But the reason why the text says and share with what you have the early church did a pretty good job of when they had more than they needed, they just shared with people. I'm telling you right now, if we went back in time, I want you to think about this. For those of you who had kids in here, think about when they were two or three. And remember those many memories of when you had to sit down and have the sharing conversation. And like, hey, I get it. I bought you the toy hammer. You can share it. No, that doesn't mean hit your brother in the head with it. You share your toys. We have, we, you, know, you have that conversation with those aged kids all the time. I think about that. And I think about how many times God wants to have that conversation with us. What I mean by that is this. Chase, I've blessed you with all of this. What are you sharing? What are you doing with it? You know, I could make this super religious, be like, all right, how am I sharing the gospel? I've given you the gospel. Okay, but let's take that a step further. Because, yes, we're to meet people with the gospel first, but after that, we should be doing good and meeting people's needs. How am I impacting poverty? How am I standing up for abuse? What am I doing with all that God has blessed me with? Some of you in here are very blessed people. I hope you know where that comes from. 
Some of you in here might not be. And maybe you need to be blessed and you need to be okay doing that. You need to be okay asking for help. I get it. That's a pride thing. But sometimes you need to. Step eight, do good. Find opportunities to do it. If you don't know of opportunities of where you can do good, first off, you can find it in your daily life. But if you're really struggling, please come talk to me. We have so many places and so many people we know we can plug you in and be like, hey, you want to do good? Here you go. And you might be like, Chase, I can't talk to people. You mentioned mentoring earlier. I can't talk to people. Guys, I know of an organization that just wants to send guys out to hit golf balls with another person. If you can hit golf balls, I can use you. Be like, well, I can't hit golf balls. What can you do? I will find a place. We will find a place for you to do good. Having relationships, being with people, do good. Let's go back to the text. Step nine and verse 17 says this. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. Okay. As a pastor, I'm going to tell you right now, I absolutely hate even talking about a verse like this. This is one of those verses that is completely misused and not by you, by people that uh, you know, occupy the stage sometimes. Obey your leaders. Everyone in this room needs to have, if you believe you're a Christian and you've walked in this faith, you need to have a relationship in your life that I call the Paul relationship, the person that's pouring into you. I have those as a pastor. I hope you do too. And what I mean by this is when you have that person, you need to be submitting to their wisdom, submitting to their counsel. Yes, as you come into the church and as Pastor Jason preaches, you should want to submit to that word and be like, yes, I need to take something from this. But we also know from this stage, we preach that you need to be Bereans and be studying the word for yourself. So what does that mean? So what is that left with? What it doesn't mean is that you come in a here or any kind of religious function and automatically it's assumed, yep, I have to submit to everything in this place. It's not what the text says. Your leaders... Those that have patiently sat at the feet of Jesus and are still doing it to learn, to study, as with you. And we're doing it together. We don't groan about it. Everyone in this room, you can learn from each other. I hope you know that. When I was a student pastor, the easiest people for me to learn from were kids. And I don't mean students. I mean kids. I remember sitting back in the, like, as a student pastor, I was at a smaller church where I also oversaw kids. And let me tell you something, that was not fun for me because that's not my thing. But I was sitting back there and I was teaching young kids. And I'm talking about four to six-year-olds. I was only in that room once, I don't know why. But as I was sitting around this circle, you know, crisscross applesauce, that's still a thing. And having this conversation, I got to see this childlike faith. And we were talking about the Jonah series, and we're going through Jonah and the big fish, all right? Not whale, big fish. And it hit me. Read the word, we talked about it, and every one of the faces looked at me, and it did not say, well, Chase, really? How is that possible? What it was was this, that's awesome. And I'm like, man, I wish I could read the word of God like that again. God, give me a heart to be able to do that. Because as I watch kids, and I see them read the word of God, and they just, man, 
I wish I could read the creation story again like that. I, I, re- I wish I could read Jonah again like that. I, I wish I could read it and not get into my logical mind of, all right, God, if this happened, how did this, this, and this happen? The wonder. Church, we can find that. And you might be like, well, Chase, adults, we should have healthy skepticism. Okay, great. But when's the last time you truly wondered at your creator? And truly understood and said this, man, he is outside of me. Bigger things than me. As a pastor, I'm okay telling you this. There are things about our faith that I do not understand. I don't have all the answers. But here's the thing I want to tell you. I want you to hear from me. I'm okay with that. And the reason I'm okay with that is the wonder of the cross. And the miraculousness that is God. If you're having questions about anything in your faith, yes, you should have questions. But I hope you have that baseline of I'm okay with these questions because I still have the wonder of God who made me in his image. Step nine, obey. Obey the word. Obey the teaching. Step 10. Let's go back to the text. Verses 18 and 19. And this is where we're going to close. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. Step 10. Pray. Pray, pray, pray. It is probably the thing that is completely undersold the most in church. Pray. Part of that verse Sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. When we're tempted to like, you know, make the ends justify the means and tempted to do things that aren't above board, this is when we pray. This is when we let the Holy Spirit convict. If you want to have an MVP-like faith, if you want to have this most valuable player-like faith, it starts with loving each other and you better be praying all the time. And asking God, where do I need to work? Where do I need to be? What does this look like for me? Because we've talked about this Hebrew series. We have, we have the goat, the greatest of all time, who is the Savior. We have Jesus. And then we talked about how Jesus is the MVP of our faith, but how with that, we also need to be an MVP in our own faith. And here's why this all matters. When you have the goat, the greatest of all time, when you have the MVP, you know what that usually means? You end up in the Hall of Fame. Man, what's that? Simple. It's called heaven. And in this case, it's always. If you turn your eyes and you focus on Jesus, who's the greatest Savior of all time, and you try to be this MVP of your faith by accepting his grace, that's where you go. That's where you go. And for me as a sports fan, let me tell you something. Does anybody watch the Hall of Fame like announcements when they surprise people? That'd be cool if that was what heaven was like, you know what I'm saying? See that red suit coming through the door? Knock on the door. Hey, Chase, wanted to let you know I'm just excited about all the work you've done for the kingdom. That's not how it happens, all right? Just let my excitement of childhood go, okay? But I tell you right now, it pales in comparison to when I get to see God. That pales in comparison to when I get to be with Jesus. Because when I get to be with Jesus and I get to be in heaven, all of this is done. The polarization, the arguing, 
the infighting, all the garbage is gone. And church, we do this for a reason. Being an MVP of our faith. You know, Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 7. It's a very common passage. But in Matthew 7, he says this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. We've talked about ten steps today. I hope you take these and know that the foundation of our faith is Jesus. And if we build on that, and then we start doing these ten steps, man, nothing's going to take you down. No matter what comes your way. Not because of these ten action steps we're doing, because it's not about works. It's about we know the foundation is set in Christ. So why do we do this? Why do we take nine weeks to preach through Hebrews? Why do I take a whole day to talk about the application of Hebrews 13? Because there's something important at stake. I flip the page of my Bible to go to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. There's a spot there from Jesus that says this. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Pray earnestly is the next verse. Pray earnestly to send workers to the field. You are needed. You are needed. You're sitting in a chair today in here, you are needed. If you get anything from Hebrews, get this. Yes, you serve the greatest Savior of all time. Yes, we have the greatest gift of grace. We have the greatest salvation. But we have all of that. And there's an action. There's a call to action to do something with it. And that's to let people see that we have that. Not lord it over them. Not boast. But to come alongside people. And say, hey, here's how I get through it. Here's how I do it. Because I have found the perfecter of my faith. And I'm living my life to try to be the most valuable player I can for Jesus. And the reason I like this whole MVP challenge that we've done, it hits my nature. I'm a competitive person. I want to be better. And the greatest thing is I'm competing against myself, who I see as the greatest opponent. I'm just kidding. All right. I'm competing against my own desires, my own selfish needs. And I have to put those aside. So I've got to sacrifice those at the altar and say, I want to live my life that is full of faith, knowing that Jesus is there and having these 10 things. Now, for those of you that are like, man, Chase, I love this. I want to do more of this. I knew preaching a 10-point sermon, if I were to call any of you and say, all right, give me the 10 steps I gave you, we would not do well on that quiz today. So, Go to Connection Central after service. I have a five-day prayer guide with all these points. And I want you to take it. And I want you to take it. And I want you to do it. Each day has two of these points that you're going to pray for in the morning and the night. And I hope you take me up on that. For those of you that are in here and you're like, man, I don't know the gospel. I don't know what this is. I don't know this greatest of all time. This is my first week and I somehow missed eight weeks before this. What is there for me? 
I want you to hear this. It doesn't have to be this bad. Whatever's going on, this is not all there is. The struggles, the trials, what you see in society. Let's be honest, church. This last week, it wasn't just national news that probably depressed us completely. It was local news this week that really did it. And as we see stories like what happened in Peoria, the loss of life of a child because of evil, what I'm saying to you is this. Not only do we have life-saving grace, but after that we're called to do good and show action and love on people. And being a part of the gospel, my heart breaks when I hear things like that. But the good news I know is this. That kind of evil, it doesn't win. That doesn't win. That kid is with Jesus. It doesn't win. So if you're sitting here and you're like, man, I don't know any of this, I just want you to know that. It's not that it has to be as bad. Come talk to one of the pastors and say, I want to have something more. That's what I give for you. What's going to happen next is the worship team is going to come out and we're going to sing. Keep that in your mind as you praise Jesus this morning. Let's go ahead. I want you to stand and we'll pray together for standing this morning. Dear Father God, we just, as we come here this morning as your body, we thank you for the praises that we have, the blessings that we have, the breath of life, the fact that we have a Savior that went to the cross, grace, the spouse you've given to each of us if we're married, the children that we have, the gifts that you've given us of the Spirit. God, we so praise you. God, may we keep our eyes fixed on you. May we see the opportunities around us to do good to love on each other, to be hospitable. God, protect those that need protected. Convict those that need convicted. We know you love us, and we thank you for that. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen.